This is one of Deep State Radio's briefs and debriefs. Hello, and welcome to another of Deep State Radio's one-on-one conversations, this time with a friend of Deep State Radio's, Mika Oyang, of the Third Way National Security Program, which she heads up. Uh, One of the reasons we wanted to talk to Mika and check in with her is that Third Way is launching a cybersecurity initiative, and given the amount that cybersecurity has been in the news recently, Uh, And more importantly, given the amount that it's likely to be in the news in the near future, this seems significant. Uh, And given Mika's uh, background working on these issues and and working on national security issues on the Hill for a long time, uh, her perspective uh, overall would also be useful on this. But why don't we start, Mika, with you talking about what the initiative is and why you're doing it right now? Yeah. So we've been looking at the field of cybersecurity for a while, and there's a lot of really good work being done out there. Uh, Most of the focus is on defensive protection of people's systems, people sharing information about zero-day vulnerabilities, talking about supply chain. How do we make our products and systems more secure? But as I was looking at the field of cybersecurity, there's a lot of activity, but Trying to be on defense all the time is really difficult. And the defender needs to be right 100% of the time, and the attacker only needs to be right once to find the vulnerability they're going to get into. And so we decided how we would take a look at how are we doing at going after that human being, that attacker who is coming at us. Because a zero-day vulnerability isn't actually a problem unless someone exploits it. At the end of the day, there's a human being on the other side of the network whose fingers are on the keyboard, who's making a decision to attack us, our systems, and the things that we do on the internet. So we thought, how do we best go at that human being attacker? And we realized that while there's been some recent attempts to do a lot more naming and shaming of particular nation-state hackers. You saw this in the Mueller indictments of the GRU agents. You saw this in the Obama administration indicting some of the PLA officers. Really, underneath that waterline, there is a massive cybercrime wave happening that is affecting financial institutions, states, retailers, healthcare systems, all kinds of people, you know, one in two Americans have had a credit card replaced because of identity theft. And the aggregate cost of these attacks are tremendous to our economy. And at this point, individuals are largely being held blameless and banks are having to write down those losses, but those losses are significant. And we set about to calculate what is the chance that a cybercrime we'll see an enforcement action. And as we looked into it, we realized the statistics are terrible. They're not kept in a reasonable way that talks about the kinds of crimes that we see today, and they're not collected well at the state and local level. But in looking at the number of enforcement actions reported by the FBI as the number of arrests, and the number of reported crimes as reported to the FBI through their Internet Crime Complaint Center, we found that there were over 300,000 crimes and less than a thousand arrests. So the chance that someone 
would be caught for committing a cybercrime in this country is three-tenths of one percent or less. And that's just of the reported crimes. The FBI estimates that 15 percent of crimes are reported, meaning the vast majority of crimes go unreported. You compare this to the property crime case clearance rate, which is 19%, meaning one in five. So three in a thousand cyber crimes you see in arrest, one in five regular crimes see in arrest. Law enforcement today is really not situated well to go after this massive cybercrime wave. And so we're seeing this massive enforcement gap. And so what we decided to do is think about the ways that we can transform law enforcement and enable diplomacy to help them to figure out how to get at more of these cyber criminals. It's a huge problem. But when we look at the ways that law enforcement operates, and some people have already done some really good work in this area, um, we see that we're in kind of a pre-9-11 mindset like we were with terrorism. It's not that people aren't doing work in this area, but it's not getting the priority and the coordination that we think is necessary given the vast amount of crimes that are happening. You know, we saw in one instance that one single carding scam over the internet actually netted more profits for the criminals than all the in-person bank robberies committed in the United States that year. And yet we still don't know who's committing these crimes. Often they're in other countries where it's difficult to get foreign law enforcement to cooperate and help us identify these people. Attribution is difficult, very time intensive. The number of experts that we have to be able to deal with this is very small. We're seeing huge gaps and deficits in the cyber workforce generally, but in particular in this area. We see that as soon as people in law enforcement start getting good at this. They're lured away by very lucrative private sector jobs. So we think that this entire problem is one that needs a real systemic approach to think about how do we transform law enforcement? How do we measure this problem? How do we assess current efforts? And then how do we start making it clear that this cyber enforcement gap is unacceptable and we really would like to close it? Um, and we're really excited to have a group of uh, a bipartisan group of experts in this field across a wide range of experiences who are serving as our advisory board to help us think through some of these problems, include people like um, the former general counsel of the FBI, the former general counsel of the NSA, people who have served at the State Department, people who have served at the NSC, people in academia. So we're hoping to unleash a whole bunch of thinking about how we solve this problem. You know, what are the kinds of structures that we need to coordinate to solve these cases when you may see victims across many jurisdictions all committed by a single perpetrator who's not located in the U.S.? How do you deal with some of these attribution problems when people are using encryption, Tor, other tools to hide their location? They're using Bitcoin to facilitate the transfer of funds. Um, and in some cases, they're attacking essential services. We saw you know, the entire city of Atlanta get held victim to a ransomware attack just in the past year. So while there's a lot of attention spent on the military and cyber tools, cyber command and the NSA, all that is really important. 
we think that we've really underinvested in the transformation of law enforcement to make sure that they are up to meeting this task. And so that's what we'll be doing over the next few years. Well, it's, a, it's an interesting subject. And of course, when you get into the area of cyber, there's so many places to look. There was just a, a big report by government auditors that suggested that nearly all of the Pentagon's new weapon systems are vulnerable to hacking. Um, and so, you know, the military uh, or the defense establishment really have their hands full um, with this. On the on the the side that you guys are looking at, which is essentially the rest of society, some of the problems are threat related, but a lot of the problems are response related. Um, areas like you know, and, and most people don't know who to call if they're they, they're hacked. They don't know whether it's their local police or the FBI. Uh, and and most local police departments don't have the resources to assist them if they're hacked. So are you going to look at sort of top-down uh, approaches to this, you know, every level of society? Because I think one of the interesting challenges of the era that we're entering into is that every defense system we ever had was not adequate to this because we're not dealing with the hard targets we once looked at. Uh, in in the era of traditional warfare, uh, but we're not even just looking at the soft targets that we that we that we looked at 20 years ago when when we entered this post 9/11 era. Everybody's a target. Every That's every right. everybody has got a vulnerability, and as a result, everybody has a role to play in the defense. And so, that's that's almost a sociological reengineering project as well as a government project. Or perhaps you think I'm overstating that. No, I think that that's right. I mean, I think people need to raise their level of awareness about their own defenses. You know, I encourage everyone to adopt two-factor authentication, and anyone who's listening to this podcast should certainly, at a minimum, turn that on. Uh, potentially with an authenticator app or a, a crypto key, much better than just the text messages, but even the text messages are better than nothing. Um, but, you know, for a lot of the people, there's only so much you can do on defense, right? Like you can lock your doors and windows, but in a real crime wave situation, if someone's really determined to break in, they will. And the question is, how prepared is law enforcement to respond to that? And you know, we've taken sort of initial looks at some of the law enforcement agencies. You look at an agency like the Secret Service, which has recently taken the attitude that every single one of its agents should be capable of responding to a cyber incident. And that takes a different set of training than just regular law enforcement. It's not enough to be weapons qualified and know how to take fingerprints in a witness statement. You need to know how to do things like write a request to a tech company for the data that they may have. You have to know how to pull server logs. You know how to do, have to do who is lookups and, you know, ping tests and all kinds of other things that, you know, as a non-engineer, even I don't know all of them. But it's certainly the case that there are different levels of training for people who are initial responders, people who are um, forensic analysts and who are going to look at systems. And we need to assess the existing capability of all of these different levels, determine what additional training is necessary. And then when it comes to our foreign partners, really think about how do we build up capability here? Because there are a lot of other countries, you know, you think about places like Nigeria, everyone's gotten that email, um, where the law enforcement agencies may not even be able to respond. 
And so how do we help bring foreign partners who are interested in helping us solve this problem up to a level where where we can actually try and catch some of these guys? What what are your metrics? How do you know whether this project is a success? The excellent question. I mean, I think as a initial matter, because the metrics are so poor in this area, uh, and others have looked at this too, the National Academy of Sciences has looked at this, um, Police Executives Association has looked at this, there are a lot of places where just getting to better metrics would be an improvement that in the initial stages, that's what we would like to do. We'd like to see some real good government assessments of the problem, some better adoption of metrics for reporting the crime levels. And once we see what those assessments are, then we'll be able to make some better recommendations about what's necessary. We've done some initial budget analysis, but right now I think the effort is in understanding what do we have, where are the people out there who are working on this, and how good are they really? So why is Third Way doing it? You know, as an organization, we are really focused on challenges that Americans have to face in the future. We are concerned that much of the political debate in this country is stuck in old modes of thinking. There's a joke a former Third Way staffer used to say, which is that um, Republicans want to live in the 1950s, but Democrats just want to work there. Well, that is also true when it comes to national security. And so much of the national security debate is about how do we get back to the post-Cold War order, get back to the Clinton administration, get back to the Obama administration. And none of that takes into consideration what are the real threats that Americans are facing. And cybersecurity is one place where a foreign adversary can harm an American without even getting up from their desk and leaving their territory. And so this was the threat that we thought was important to take on for our national security. Last question. Third Way has always had, among other things, a political mission. And, of course, good ideas are often thought to resonate in politics. Um, but what wins or loses elections is is what people feel in their gut, what's galvanizing. And I'm just wondering, how do you present this idea as something that is politically salient um, in a, at a time where, you know, the, the UN is putting out, you know, uh, reports on global warming that suggest if we don't make major changes in 10 years, hundreds of millions of people will be dislocated. And most people in the United States respond with a yawn and the president goes, I'm not even sure that's a real thing. You know, so that that seems pretty, pretty looming. And the question is, how do you make this urgent? Yeah, I think that right, climate change is one of those problems where it feels so abstract, it's hard to know where to begin. And cybersecurity writ large, when you think about all the vulnerabilities and the pervasiveness of technology, sometimes feels that way. But when you go back and look, every state and every jurisdiction has had something some major entity affected, right? The Department of Transportation of Colorado was hit with a ransomware attack. The entire city of Atlanta, an entire healthcare system in Indiana lost their healthcare records. You see this in Panera Bread and Home Depot, Ticketfly. These are all things that hit people close to home and people have 
this tremendous sense of unease about their information out there on the internet. Well, it's very hard to understand what to do on defense, and sometimes that feels overwhelming. But I think that people can understand the idea that there's a bad guy out there. There's someone who's deciding to attack us. And how do we improve the ability to go and find that person and put that person in jail? It's a much simpler story than how do you improve encryption technology or what is the exceptional access or what's the process for disclosing vulnerabilities. All of that is a discussion as important as it is that the average American has a hard time grasping. But the idea that there's somebody siphoning information and money out of people's retirement accounts and that person is getting away with it, that's a much easier thing to understand. Interesting. Well, it, we will follow this closely, and we hope that you will return to Deep State Radio on a regular basis to share with us your views on a wide range of subjects. Uh, but uh, clearly, this is part of a retooling of the entire thinking infrastructure of Washington, a focus on next generation issues, uh, which is clearly welcome since... Uh, as your joke alluded to, so many in both parties spend so much time focused on the past. Thank you very much, Mika, for joining us. And uh, we ask uh, all of you, if you're you're interested in this piece and 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 uh, want to explore our thoughts on these things further, to go to deepstateradionetwork.com, look at our new content, join up, become a member, help support the effort. Uh, our little uh, insurgency in the a world of covering foreign policy, national security, and politics. Uh, and we'll be back again soon with another podcast or article or perhaps even a tweet. Bye-bye. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.